Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, where we usually talk about marriage and sex and everything in between. And this month on the blog, we've been doing something a little bit different. We have been talking about community and specifically how to find community in church and how to find a good friend group and how to find people that can spur you on to love and good deeds. And the reason we've been talking about community is because... I think part of having a healthy marriage and even part of having a healthy sex life is to be surrounded by people who breathe life into you <laughs> and not people who steal life and joy from you and people who energize you. And that's really what church should be. Church should be a place where you encounter the real Christ. And today I am going to maybe let it all hang out more than I usually do. <laughs> Which is saying something, because we're a podcast that talks about sex. That's right. There's I've invited uh, Rebecca on, because this is something that our family has been talking about a lot lately, which is how do you find a true body of Christ? Because a lot of what we've been experiencing in evangelical Christianity, especially in the North American church lately, has been quite toxic. Yeah, exactly. We get comments about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing it on the blog. I'm seeing it in my real life um, of people who have just abandoned church and in so doing often abandoned God. And and I feel like I'm standing here waving my hands in the air saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know your church is terrible and I know you've been really burned, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is terrible. Mm -hmm. And so please, can we see this differently? So I want to take a bit of a romp with Rebecca through um, some of the reasons the church has gotten toxic and maybe point us to just a new way of thinking about it. There's other podcasts that, that go deep into this crisis. And um, I, I, we're not going to go that deep today because that's not what my blog is about. But I do think that it is a conversation that's important to have especially because on the blog, I have been quite vocal about some of the things that are very toxic in evangelical Christian culture, especially some of the books like Love and Respect that are seriously toxic. And so if I'm going to talk about what's toxic, I, I, I want to help us realize that the body of Christ is not toxic. It's just that parts of our Christian culture right now are. Or maybe I should even say parts of our church culture, because I actually don't think it's Christian culture. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we need to recognize, is that no matter where you are, you know, like there are people who are trying to follow God. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, often the way that we set up churches and church services and the way we set up church communities, it actually can be difficult to find those people, even within a church. Because our churches become about something other than simply humbly walking with God together. Mm -hmm. And I want to give one example. This is this is a pet peeve that I have. Maybe that's treating it like it's too trite because I actually think it's quite an important problem. But my husband's a doctor, which means that he went through medical school. He had to write exams and he had to be licensed with the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario. And Obviously, it's different whatever jurisdiction you're in, but he had to have a license. And if he does certain things, if he if he just like if he tells other people confidential patient information, if he has a sexual relationship with a patient, um, if he does any of those things, he can lose his license. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and most most professions where are where you have to study a lot and it's a specific profession or specific trade where you're where you're trained in that and you're going to have authority over people. They have a licensing structure. 
Yes, exactly. My brother-in-law is an accountant. And when he started dating a woman whose, um, uh, whose account was with his firm, she and he both had to go to their respective bosses. They both disclosed the relationship on the up and up. Um, she then started going to a different accountant, not him, and they dated and they eventually married. But they did that all on the up and up because he had professional standards that he had to follow. <laughs> and my problem with the way that we do church is that we put so much status and power and authority in the office of a pastor without any licensing power like that. I mean, yes, they're licensed to do weddings, but there's no ability to take away that license. Yeah, or if there is, it's very difficult to do so. It's very difficult. And there's not a neutral third-party board that people who have been wronged can approach. If you know of a sexual assault that a pastor made... Yeah, clergy, clergy sex abuse, because clergy sex abuse is not an affair. No, exactly. Clergy sex abuse is clergy sex abuse, yes. Yeah, but if you know about something like that, for instance, who do you call? Mm-hmm. To make sure that guy can never be a pastor again, or that makes that there's that there's a real investigation that goes on. Like we have to call the police, but these things are not necessarily always an illegal issue. Sometimes it's just a you broke your breach of ethics right. issue. And who do we call about those things? Perfect example: James McDonald, who founded Harvest Bible Chapel in uh, Chicago, Illinois, and that had a whole bunch of different churches that were offshoots of that. And he has been disqualified from ministry. His elders at Harvest Bible Chapel have said that he is disqualified from ministry, but he is now starting a new church. Because even though people have said he's disqualified, there's nothing that makes it impossible for you to go start a new church. And the reality is, pastorship is probably never going to be as heavily licensed as things like, you know, surgery. Right. <laughs> because it's also easier to license surgery. Because you know what you need in order to practice surgery? An OR. Yes. <laughs> and in Canada, you know who funds the OR? The government. The government. Right. So the government is not going to necessarily make it easy for you to practice surgery without a license, mm -hmm. right? Because in Canada, at least, and I don't know exactly how it works in the States, but in Canada, you have... You are, in essence, hired by the government, mm -hmm. and the government pays for your equipment. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not allowed to practice, then the government will not give you the ability to practice. And that's where if you're going to be an illegal surgeon, you got to do it out of your basement right. somewhere. Right? You can't just start a new hospital. Right. Which is, in essence, what James McDonald is doing without anyone being able to say anything about it because he's just starting a new church after being told he is not allowed to perform ministry anymore. He's not qualified anymore because of his past actions mm -hmm. and there's nothing we can do about it. And this is, this is one of, this is one of the things that I think is terribly wrong with the way that we do church is that we've created this author authoritarian hierarchical church with, with the pastor at the top and perhaps the elders as well. It depends what your denomination is or whatever, but where so much power is invested in them. But then the congregants have no way of fighting back if the pastors and elders do something wrong. In fact, um, many churches require their members to sign membership covenants, which say that if you are in sin, you agree that the pastors and elders can discipline you, even though those membership covenants do not spell out what that sin is, but there is no corresponding ability of the congregation to call out the pastor or elders for sin. And this is a very unhealthy dynamic. It, it, it is ripe for abuse. And I think that this is what has happened in so many churches. This is how the sexual abuse scandal has 
become so rampant because we have professionalism without effective professional licensing. And that creates an authority structure that's vulnerable to abuse and then it fails to protect the abused. Exactly. Now, I will say there is something that people can do. If you are in a church where the denomination is acting in a way that you disagree with or a pastor is acting in a way that you disagree with and they're not listening and it is becoming a very unhealthy situation, like, for instance, if there is rampant sexual abuse or if there is cover-ups of rampant sexual abuse, anything like that, you can always leave the church and stop giving them your money. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I do need to say that. Like, even if we never get pastors properly licensed or something, they can only do so much for free. Yeah. They require donations. Mm-hmm. And so if you are part of a church that you do not agree with how they are handling things, you can even keep going if you want, but you can decide not to help perpetuate that harm by giving them your money. You can donate to places that are doing it better. I'm not saying don't give money to the kingdom of God. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that often we see a lot of people come to us saying, you know, I just don't like how my church is handling this, but nothing seems to make them change. It's like, well, if you don't like how the church is handling it, maybe it is not an appropriate place to be giving your tithes and offerings because maybe it's not honestly functioning very well as a part of the body of Christ right now. Right, because there's a big difference between a toxic system and between difficult interpersonal relationships. Like lots of people, I mean, pretty much all of us have difficult interpersonal relationships at church. That's just nature of being human, right? When you rub shoulders with people sometimes, there's gonna be people who tick you off, there's gonna be people who interfere in your life too much. We talked about some of that last week on the podcast, right? Like like we're human and that means that we're gonna tick each other off and we're gonna hurt each other's feelings and sometimes we're gonna be cliquey and we're not always gonna be fair. And I don't believe that you should lo- that you should leave churches necessarily only for those reasons. I mean... Yeah, I think if we all were just looking for churches where we found people who only ever thought like us and who very magically were our best friends automatically or we just respected literally everyone there and there was all that kind of thing just worked perfectly I just don't really see how we would become a congregation that can help each other grow because we need to have enough differences that create some friction Mm -hmm. but also give all of us areas for growth so we're not saying that a church is bad if you think that some of the people in it are just kind of buffoons right now you know now we also (laughs) gave an example in last week's podcast about how if you've put in so much effort over years and still you don't have any friends maybe it's time to shake the dust off your feet so so exactly uh, in everything there's a balance here right there's a huge amount of nuance in this conversation i hope that people understand that (laughs) as listening to this podcast like please understand this we're not trying to give you a prescription for what to do Mm -hmm. in any given situation we're just trying to give you permission to understand that there is nuance here and that we need to be comfortable trying to navigate the nuance Mm -hmm. and sometimes the response to the nuance is not as nice as we would like it to right. be. Right. So so there's a difference between, and so, and so what I was trying to say is like, those are interpersonal problems, but there's also issues of toxic systems. And what I mean by a toxic system is a church that is set up where the authority structure itself, the governing rules itself, are actually toxic. Like it creates an opportunity that is ripe for abuse. Um, it puts all the power in the pastor's hands and it doesn't give you a chance to do anything about it. And sometimes you could be in a church that actually has that kind of governance, but the people are actually quite helpful and are quite lovely and are quite Christian. And so it's not toxic. But when there is a system that is based on some people having power and some people having no power, that can easily become toxic. Yeah, even if it isn't dangerous at one point, it can very easily flip when things get difficult, right? If, if when things are going really well, everyone is happy and healthy 
that's not necessarily the best measure to see whether or not the church is actually mm-hmm. healthy. It's really easy to function well when you're in a good place. The question is what happens if there is an abuse allegation? What happens if someone is mismanaging finances? What happens if the pastor suddenly just decides to start preaching things that are really, really concerning and really quite dangerous to the congregants? Is there any safeguards? Are there catches? Mm -hmm. Are there ways that people can speak up and right the wrong? Or is it very easy to shove things under a rug, pretend it doesn't exist, and punish those who try to speak up? Yes, and that's that's it exactly, is does the church punish those who try to speak up? And so if you are in a toxic system, you may feel like this is my church home. I can't just leave. I should I should help build it up. But just recognize that you being in that toxic system, you may not be able to fix the toxic system. And I think if more of us stood up and said, no, this is just wrong and made a stand, I think the churches that weren't toxic would grow a whole lot more and some of these other churches would diminish. Because what I've found lately like you look at all the scandals, Harvest Bible, Willow Creek, Mars Hill, it's it's very similar issues, which is an authoritarian structure where people are not allowed to speak up and where too much power is invested at the top. Uh, and it's not safe. And the more that you give your money to that, the more you perpetuate it, even if you think that by staying, I can make a difference. Maybe you stay, but you don't give your money. You know, that's always an option. Yeah. At least you're not perpetuating the system. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we need to not be afraid to question the system because no matter how much people would like to convince you otherwise, the reality is there's nowhere in the Bible that gives a strict definition of what Sunday should look like. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere in the Bible that gives a strict definition of how the church leadership should be set mm-hmm. up. We have ideas based on, you know, the Acts of the Apostles and um, discussions about leadership in various letters, but there isn't actually a very clear-cut example of how a church it's not like we got a seminary handbook as a extra letter of paul's or anything right right? like we we're kind of making it up based on what we've found has worked and so when it stops working the answer isn't to try to perpetuate something that's not necessarily biblical but it's instead to figure out okay so where are we going wrong and how can we better as a group be an ambassador for christ together Mm -hmm. now let me get on my soapbox for a minute And let me tell you a story, because this is the next major point I want to make. There was a meme going around on Twitter last week, uh, 10 things that most people love that I hate, and you had to list 10 things. And I filled it out, and people were absolutely appalled at some of the 10 things I said, like peanut butter and cheese, which are both the devil as far as I'm concerned. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that I put was contemporary worship in church. I, I really don't like it. And I know you and I don't necessarily agree completely on this one. Um, And other people don't have to agree with me either. But what I have found is that our churches have tried to be so relevant. So they play all of this worship music that is all um, current and everything like that. But I can get that music on my iPad. Like I I can listen to that music when I'm at home. And I I believe in corporate worship, but I don't think corporate worship should only be music. And I'm, I'm tired of church services where you go in and you sing six songs that are all about emotion of how we feel about God. And then you listen to a sermon and then you leave because I can do all of that at home on my computer. Yeah, and that's the problem is our world has so fundamentally changed than how it was when the church was kind of first set up in the way that it Mm -hmm. is now. But it seems like we have not adapted whatsoever. Like, for instance, how many amazing speakers and pastors have, like, material for free online? You can... 
you can show their sermons, you can watch them, they have everything online. Like you can download podcasts, you can do YouTube series from people, and yet how many churches still have hired teaching pastors who are frankly not very good at teaching? Right, and that are totally boring. Like God does not say that the measure of a Christian is that you're bored silly for two hours every week. And I, I don't mean to be mean, and I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but we need to rethink church. When I go to church, it's because I want an experience of God, and it's because I want to be with my community and worship Him together. And I don't think that needs to be listening to a not very good sermon and singing six contemporary songs. I would love to hear more scripture read. I would love to hear more about what's going on in people's lives. Like if someone has a really cool ministry and something happened to them this week, I would love to hear that. My daughter Katie goes to a really small church and at their church, um, people can get up and share prayer requests and they'll tell you, hey, last week you prayed for my dad's surgery and this week here's what happened. Or, um, you know, uh, I was really praying about speaking to a neighbor and you all prayed about that for me and this week I had a great conversation with her. Like, that's what I want to hear. I don't need to sing more songs. I want to feel like I'm part of a community. Yeah, and now I would say that for a lot of people, the songs are how they meet with God. Oh, and I'm, I'm not against, I know, I'm very musical. I used to run a praise team and I'm, and I'm not against music. I'm just saying that that shouldn't be all there is. And that's that's what I was going to say is what we're trying to say is not necessarily we should have this at the expense of something else. It's more maybe we need to look at a better way of doing these things with our current technology, with our current culture and all that kind of stuff so that we can figure out how can we make church once again a place where the body of Christ comes together to actually meet with God. Mm-hmm. Right? Not not just have an intellectual conversation about him, but how to honestly meet with him. And right now, only one way is really offered, which is singing songs, usually. This is, again, yeah. not the case in every single church. But in the majority of churches, the worship element is singing. Right. Now, think about how that got started, though. Let's go a little bit on a history roll up here, which is after the Reformation, when our modern church service got started, what were the big needs that people had. Well, the number one need was for teaching. Very few people had Bibles. A lot of people couldn't read. And so having a sermon where the pastor explained something to you was vitally important. Um, At that time, there were often uh, liturgical readings, and and in some church traditions, they still have that, where over the course of a year um, or a course of a few years, you would read through all the major portions of the Bible so the people would actually hear the scripture read. And then the hymns that we sang were heavily, that, that really was how people learned doctrine. I mean, think about the words, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, you know, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like these hymns are what taught us doctrine. And so that's why the older hymns are so firm on doctrine, because people didn't necessarily know it. And so you would go to church, you would learn these hymns that you would sing yourself, you would listen to um, the teaching that you really needed, you would hear scripture read because you didn't have a Bible, and that was the need that people had. Today, our need is not for information or teaching. Goodness knows, we have more teaching available to us than at the, at the click of a button on our phones or computers or whatever than, we, than anyone has ever had in history. And we have the highest literacy rate in history. Right. And, and if you want to hear like a deep theological sermon on the meanings of Deuteronomy or Leviticus for whatever reason, <laughs> you know, it is out there by someone who can actually turn it into something 
really interesting. Um, Joanna, who works for us, what, what is it? She loves all the time. She um, loves the Phil Vischer podcast, I know, but there's also, there's a bunch. She has amazing ones. Maybe we should get Joanna just to post a bunch of links to interesting things. In the- yes, I will, I will link in, in the podcast description to this podcast, I will link to Joanna's favorite podcast about the Bible because she has some awesome ones that, that she listens to that explain all different parts of the Bible. So we have all of this information at a click of a button, but you know what I don't have? is I don't have community. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I do among my friends, but it is a struggle. And that is my big need. My big need is not for information. It's for, it's for community. And yet we go to church on Sunday and we can't have it because of the way church services are. Yeah, exactly. Because the thing that's hard for us to find in today's culture, more so than in past generations, is intergenerational connections and intergenerational community, right? Even just mm-hmm. having friends isn't really enough. You know, because we can get into this weird echo chamber of just people our age who are going through the same things as us, maybe plus or minus five years. And yes. what's really great about church communities is that you have the 80-year-old woman who is, you know, your son's favorite person to go and give hugs to on Sunday morning, you know, when he's four years old. And you have the 14-year-old who thinks that you are just the coolest thing ever and wants, and you can help mentor about, you know, her problems or something when you volunteer in youth group. And you have the people who are 10 years older than you, whose kids are a bit older, and they can tell you, it's okay, you will sleep again, you will survive this. You know, we Mm -hmm. have all different ages that we connect with so that it truly is something very different than just our typical millennial friend groups that we tend to have you know Mm -hmm. we need to have people with greater wisdom than us who are older and we need to meet people who are younger than us who we can also kind of help along and be an encouragement too and that's very hard to do outside of a church context and so it's just a shame when it feels like we're spending all of this time on things that we could easily do at home by ourselves. And you're Mm -hmm. sitting in this congregation of like 200 other people, and you know you're not actually going to have a chance to talk to any of them. And that's why when the service is over, everybody does that mad dash. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, like, okay, I got to catch her before she leaves, and I have to catch him before he leaves, and I have to catch up. And it, it just makes me sad because we're treating community as a secondary thing rather than the primary thing. And that's the thing that we see in the Bible again and again. When I read about church, that is one of the things that I do see in the Bible is that church is supposed to be a place where we connect with each other, right? Do not, it doesn't say, do not give up going and sitting together and listening to someone teach you for an hour as so many are in the habit of doing. No, it says, do not give Mm -hmm. up in the habit of meeting together as so many are in the Mm -hmm. habit of doing. Right? Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 25. Yeah. The point of church is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not to be spurred on by the pastor towards love and good deeds. Right? We're mm-hmm. supposed to have this connection, and that is what church is meant to kind of be. And, and that's at least how I read a lot of these passages, right? And it is very frustrating when, you know, we're told then, we'll just join a small group. Okay, well, if I'm joining a small group, then why should I have to show up on Sunday morning? Yeah, because a small group is always seen as a secondary option. And I actually would love to flip that. What I talked about before is just how interesting it might be if churches functioned more as a giant Bible study kind of thing. So here's, I'll tell you a little bit about my husband's faith story because he's fine with it. Um, But he came to faith later in life. He came to faith when he was only, he was only 18, but still it's later than most. And the reason he became a Christian was not because he went to church on Sunday mornings. It's because he went to Bible study with my IVCF group at the University of Ottawa. 
That mm-hmm. is why he became a Christian, because he met people and he gathered together with them in a smaller group where they honestly just talked about the Bible and talked about Jesus. And he just found that there was something different about these people. He actually didn't go to a Sunday morning service until after he converted to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing because his introduction to Christianity was something that was very real and very vibrant and had a pulse of its own. You know what I mean? Like he met Mm -hmm. Christ through his ambassadors and -hmm. that's what we're supposed to be. And I just wonder if he had shown up on a Sunday morning seeking something, if he really would have found it or if he would have walked out. And so what we've talked about me and Connor and me and you and me and Joanna and just everyone I bounce ideas off of is what would it look like to have a church community that functioned more like those campus Christian groups, <laughs> you know, that do have a really high rate. Like, they have a lot of new people come in. Like, even in just the two years that I was involved, we saw so many people come to Christ who are still walking there. You know, like, it is a real mission field that is doing really well right here in North America. And the biggest difference that I see is there's less teaching and there's more studying together. Yeah, and studying together is the main thing. Here, here's my dream. Okay, listen to this. Uh, um, and I told you this was going to be a really out-of-the-box podcast, so here we go. But I, I know so many people in my hometown that used to go to church and that really aren't affiliated anymore. And some of it is because the church burned them really badly. Some of it is because of views that the church has taken on certain things that aren't necessarily of Jesus and that aren't necessarily primary things, but... Um, they've been pushed out, uh, different things like that. And I'm just thinking, I, I really like these people, <laughs> but, but they're not at church anymore. And I don't want people to leave Jesus just because they left a building. Mm-hmm. Because church is not the same as the body of Christ. I hope that your church is the body of Christ, but you can find the body of Christ outside a church building. And I'm actually thinking of starting... A different kind of small group where maybe we uh, email everyone the link to a podcast. You're taking my idea and passing it off as your own. (laughs) You can't do that. I forgot it came with you. It started with you. No, it blatantly started with me. Okay. Okay. So Rebecca thought of this idea that I'm going to take where I email these people a link to a podcast and then I say, listen to this and then show up and we'll just talk about it. You know, we'll just chat about it. We'll have a nice time together. Um, so we'll still be talking about important stuff. But it's like the, the great teaching is already online. I think it's so much more important to, to learn about people and to have people talking. Exactly. And the reason that I came up with that idea is because... <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. No. But what I realized is that in our churches, we've defined the role of a pastor as someone who managed to get through a seminary degree. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reality is that is yeah. all it takes. Your seminary degree does not measure whether you have the spiritual giftings of what a pastor needs or not. It measures whether or not you can write a paper on the theology of various different biblical authors. That is what a seminary does. And I was looking at my own life and the pastors that I've known, the pastors that I've seen graduate and everything, and I've just realized that although there are some pastors who are obviously just where God has placed them, like they are so definitely called to what they are doing. Your your current your current pastor would fall into very that. much so. <laughs> just saying. <Yes. laughs> but there are a lot of people I've known who come out of seminary and they're just not wise. Mm-hmm. They're not 
wise. And I know so many people, and I'm not saying that I am the epitome of wisdom. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there are other people in my life who are not pastors who I would trust much more than people who have simply gone to seminary. And I think Mm -hmm. that we need to really reevaluate how we choose a pastoral leadership staff or what being a pastor really means. Because I think it would be really interesting to see churches more led by a rotating group of, you know, just spirit-led people, like people who show discernment and wisdom and who have those kinds of spiritual giftings and it's very shown in their lives that they have those and then the pastor is either not even necessary to a smaller congregation or else if there is one it really is based on their spiritual giftings you know where like maybe it's a counseling pastor you know where there's someone who's just really good at end of life care or just being there when you go through something really hard or helping create community and with interpersonal conflicts within the church or maybe it's a pastor who is really good at teaching and so they get a teaching pastoral position but if you don't have an option who's really good at teaching then why not just you know use the materials from someone who is why do we need to have a seminary based pastor at every single congregation why can't it simply be about who in our congregation has a spirit gifted and how can we use those people and then how can we use modern technology to help us kind of fill the gaps right i mean now of course there is an element where the good part of a seminary education is that hopefully at least you're taught about the Bible yes. and you have a good understanding of the Bible. Yes, but if we had but if we had a church culture where we were focusing more on having a group of people who can hold, hold the congregation accountable, we could theoretically pay for each of those group of people to get uh, you know, theological training, if not an entire seminary degree, obviously, because that takes a lot of time. Like, they're, they're, all I'm saying is that we need to rethink this at some point. And so mm-hmm. why does it mm-hmm. need to be one pastor who has the theological training? I read a great article. I hope I can find the link. If I do, I will put it in the podcast description to this, written by a millennial pastor who's saying exactly what you're saying, which is the role of pastor needs to change. And the role of pastor should be almost like a collator. Like they collate what the good information is because there's so much crap out there right online there's so much crap and a lot of as we've been talking about on the blog a lot of crap in best-selling christian books as well so so the pastor needs to be the collator of what is good they don't necessarily need to be the deliverer of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they don't need to be the teacher but they need to to be able to say hey this is worth listening to let's give this a listen let's talk about this let's discuss this Let's all interact around this um, and really figure out how to live it out, whatever it might be. But but that that should be the role of the pastor today. Because again, the main needs 400 years ago were for teaching and doctrine. The main needs today are for community. Yeah, because we still have the need for teaching. Let's be very clear. But the difference is yes. it's not a need that the physical church building or the church pastor needs to fill. Mm-hmm. Because we have other mm-hmm. ways of filling that need. Right. And so if the church could make sure that you are listening to teaching, um, or even you could listen to it together or whatever, but but it doesn't necessarily need to be the pastor that delivers it as long as you are able to meet together. You know, in, in, in Acts, the whole point of the early church was that they did life together. They didn't just show up for two hours on a Sunday morning. And yet the way that we do church is it's all about, like if you say, did you go to church this week, what you mean is, did you go into a certain building and sit there for two hours? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and that 
that has no bearing. Like the early church wouldn't even recognize that. They wouldn't even know what that's about. <laughs> because in the early that's church, that's not it was true. About... I studied Christianity in late antiquity. It very much looked like our church service, but they had like a three hour Eucharist afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but the difference is no, I don't think they would. Here, let me, let okay. me go on. Because even though they had services, the point of those services was everybody exercising their gifts. <laughs> and, and so people, you know, different people would exercise their gifts. It wasn't just one person and a pastor. Um, and, and yes, that was done with order. And that's what the book of First Corinthians is really about, is how to have order in a church service. Absolutely. But, but it was about giftings. It wasn't just about education. <laughs> yeah, well, the reality is there wasn't any seminary back. The reality is. Yeah, because there wasn't exactly any seminary back then because Jesus hadn't really, you know, Ooh. I mean, the letters of Paul hadn't even been written yet. Right. Now, Paul did take 14 years to study. Totally. Before he before he started doing his mission. But not thing, everyone so, so. who started a church had that opportunity. Right. 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 And so, so what if the way that we're doing church isn't really providing people what they really need? And I want, I want to just turn um, to another topic just for a second. I was reading a really good deconstruction of the Willow Creek um, implosion and uh, the the sexual abuse scandal with Bill Hybels. But what the guy was saying was, does this go deeper? You know, was it only about Bill Hybels and sexual abuse or was there actually a system that was set up which made this kind of thing not that surprising? <laughs> and, and he was saying that perhaps the whole Willow Creek model was based on shifting sand. And the Willow Creek model was, let's be seeker friendly. <laughs> and, and, and he asked this amazing question, which I thought was, was really good. He said, um, one of the unintended consequences of a church that is constantly focused more on outreach than spiritual formation is that this model all but ensures that every generation has to be re-evangelized since adults raised in such a church do not have the spiritual training to raise its own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Like, I thought that was a really good insight because we've been focusing so much on being seeker-friendly that we haven't focused on growth. I mean, how many people have been going to church for 20 years and they haven't grown? <laughs> yeah, we haven't really focused on discipleship or individual growth at all because how can you do that from a pulpit, right? How mm -hmm. can you do that when you have 500 people in your congregation? You can't do a sermon that's going to meet each of them where they're individually at. That's supposed to be what we do in community. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. Maybe we need to set up more mentorship groups, or maybe we need to set up more small groups, sure. But the problem is we've tried doing that as churches. There is no shortage right. of trying to get people into small groups and trying to get people to meet with mentors. But when we have congregations filled with people who are busy, it seems like it's just another thing to check off the list when we already know we mm -hmm. have to go to Sunday morning. Why not make the Sunday morning part the part that's actually going to help people grow? Mm -hmm. And then maybe host teaching seminars throughout the week for anyone who wants to come. Mm -hmm. And it could be, it could still be discussion in a large group setting or something or, yeah. or whatever. It doesn't, I'm not saying that it, it, Sunday morning has to be your small group, but we just need to do it differently so that there could be community and it needs to be something that matters. Um, I think, I think all this urge to be flashy and to have sound, you know, awesome sound and, and spoke, on, from the from the stage when when music is being played is just kind of weird and I don't know that that's really what seekers want I don't think they want flashy I think they want meaning and they want yeah. purpose um, they can get flashy anywhere you know what they need is yeah. something that transcends all that and here's another quote from from that Willow Creek article 
They say that non-churched Harry might be coming to church to encounter something permanent and unchanging is a point that is lost here. That the church should be offering something permanent and unchanging, regardless of whether non-churched Harry wants it or not, was for many years doubly lost. Yeah, and I think that's important because my husband didn't come to church because IVCF was super exciting or amazing. And had no, and and had no is, fog machines. It did not. We have we had a negative budget, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, you know, and that's for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, for anyone does, doesn't know, by the way. Mm-hmm. He came to Christ because the people in IVCF had something very real happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. And he could no longer ignore it anymore. My incredibly atheistic... Um, you know, now husband, when he was still seeking, didn't even know he was seeking. But what happened is when he met with the group who was acting out real community, where they were working on learning together what it meant to really follow Christ, who are filled with the Spirit, and who were just doing their best in a way that allowed for people to really connect, that's when Connor met Jesus. Mm-hmm. He had been to youth group in high school. You know, he had been brought to church by family members before, but it wasn't until he met people who were really living out community together in Jesus that it became real to him. So our plea in this podcast is for us to rethink church. I love Jesus. My husband said recently, Jesus is the most attractive person he's ever met. And that's why even when church disappoints him, even when these scandals hit, he can't leave Jesus. Mm-hmm. Peter said in the in the passage... In, Peter said in scripture, you have the words of eternal life. To whom else can we go? To whom else can we go? And if you're struggling in a toxic church situation, I don't want you to feel like you have to leave Jesus. (laughs) First of all, there are other churches. There really Mm -hmm. are. Even if it means joining the small, you know, 40 person church down the road. You know, there are other churches out there. I am at an amazing church right now. Mm -hmm. I really do love the people that I see every Sunday morning. And it is a fantastic place. But you do have to look for those churches. Mm -hmm. And I honestly believe if more of us left the toxic ones, those little churches wouldn't only have 40 people. That's the thing. How are these churches supposed to grow if we all stay in the large toxic churches because, well, they've got a good youth group? Yeah. You know what? Oh, there's another point. Okay, yeah, these mega churches with really good youth groups, those youth don't stay Christian. The the no. retention rate among those youth is is abysmal. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's a crisis. It, it is, and that's a whole other topic. But these churches that have these flashy youth programs, they're not keeping kids engaged because they're in, in my personal opinion. Um, this is just B, but they're focused so much on keeping kids entertained and they're not discipling and they're not teaching what it really means to, to follow Jesus. And they're also putting really legalistic stuff in, in um, place, which can be really harmful. And I think a lot of kids grow up thinking, if that's what church means, I want nothing to do with it. Um, or else they grow up in these legalistic churches. They get out into the real world. They experience their first understanding of nuance and they realize, well, if everything isn't black and white, then Jesus must not be real. Right. And again, not true. I know so many people who have left the church because, for instance, uh, the church says you can't believe in evolution and still be a Christian. <laughs> And it's just so dumb because why are we pushing people away for something that is not a primary issue? There are so Mm -hmm. many Christians 
who have integrated evolution into their faith and, and, and have very good scriptural backing for that, as well as scientific backing. I don't have a dog in this fight, so don't attack me on this one, okay? I, this, is, this is one of those things I truly don't care about <laughs> because I don't care how God created the world. I just care that he did it. And when we put up all of these, these uh, roadblocks for people to faith and we tell kids, if you believe in evolution, you've left Jesus, what do we expect these kids to do when they get to university? So we need to get into healthier churches. <laughs> and the thing too, is that if you are someone who has left a church because you felt like you were kind of kicked out mm-hmm. because of something that you don't see as a gospel issue and they were so legalistic about it that you just couldn't handle it anymore, mm-hmm. don't just leave the greater body of Christ because of that. Just seek out a church that either still disagrees with you but isn't legalistic about it. Mm-hmm. Or a church that also kind of has the same views as you. Because there are a lot of churches that do not have a dog in all of these fights. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that is often healthier because we don't necessarily just want to look for something that always affirms everything we believe. Because then we're just trying to find our own little echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we are wrong about things. Mm -hmm. You know? But I think that it is unfair to judge the entire Christian world or the entire body of Christ or the entire church capital C by your experiences with one more fundamentalist or legalistic church in your area. And so please do like, if you have a bad experience, don't just leave overall, just say, you know what? This is not the place for me. Mm -hmm. God is shaking the church right now. I have never seen anything like what has happened in the last two years, all the scandals coming out, God is exposing the deeds that have been done in darkness and God is bringing judgment on especially the North American church. And it's really disruptive. And I think that it's a purging that has long been in the making (laughs) and I welcome it, but I know that it's bringing a lot of heartache and disruption too. I mean, when James McDonald got exposed for all the terrible things that he did, that hurt a lot of people at Harvest Bible. Most people that went to Mars Hill church churches are no longer going to church. And I know that I've been really vocal in talking about all the ways that the evangelical church has let people down lately. And I just want you to know that I am not doing that because I want to destroy the church. (laughs) I am not taking any pleasure in this. I'm doing that because I know people have been hurt and I want to point us to another option (laughs) that if church has not been good for you, that is not all that there is. There is a real body of Christ out there and fight for it, please. It is worth it. Find that gem of a congregation in your little town and boost it. Um, Or start your own, like invite all the people that you know that uh, have left church and and have that discussion. Start something. I still advise really getting affiliated with a bigger denomination at some point so we don't all become little mini cults. But, you know, (laughs) like like find, (laughs) find people who are in the same boat and just don't desert the body of Christ just because Christians have disappointed you. Because that is not of Christ, and he is still calling us, and he is still very much here, and I'm excited to see what he's doing, even if it does hurt, and even if it is disruptive, because I think what's going to come out in the end is something that is very purified, and that is much, much stronger. (music) 
So thanks for joining us for this slightly different version of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast where Becca and I just shared some of the things that have been going on in our hearts. I hope that it helped you think out of the box and I hope that it helped you think about what it means to really live in a Jesus-centered community because that's what it's all about is how can we create a Jesus-centered community that breathes life and that brings life to people. And so I wish that for you. If you've been in a toxic church situation, please don't give up on Jesus because he truly loves you and he wants you to find a healthy community. So thank you for being here with us. Please join us at tolovehonoredvacuum.com for the rest of the month as we continue to talk about how to build healthy community. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, don't forget to subscribe and please rate our podcast five star and leave a review because it helps other people find us too. Bye-bye and we'll talk to you next week.